I'm interrupting my own podcast to talk to you about Anchor. Anchor is brought to you by Spotify and is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It will also help you distribute your podcast across popular podcast hosting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Best of all, you can make money from your podcast on Anchor with no minimum listenership. So for those of us just starting out, this is very helpful. And do you know how much it costs to have everything you need to make a podcast in one place? 100% free. Yep, you heard me right. You can do all of this and make money for free. So if you have been thinking about starting your own podcast, now is your chance. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now let's get back to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of Lost and Refound podcast. In this episode, we have another very special guest, Sable Shen. Sable is the CEO of Webexcel and Hanu Labs. He is a mindset coach, father to two girls, my best friend, my partner in crime, and most importantly, my husband and baby daddy. He is here to talk to us about how he leveled up his EQ and how he stays true to himself. Please help me welcome Sable Shen to the podcast. Thank you so much, Sable. Um, welcome to our podcast. We're so honored and thrilled to have you on the Lost Never Found podcast. Um, I'm super happy. To- oh. <laughs> Go ahead. That's okay. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I was just saying I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Since we're recording on Sunday, June 21st, we want to do a Father's Day special. Um, and I know that you are a husband and a father to two girls. Would you be able to tell us what Father's Day means to you? Well, Father's Day is, it's another day. It's another day for me. I mean, this is the first Father's Day that I'm celebrating without my father. So in that way, it's very significant. And well, Yen will probably say this. I just try to live every day like it's a special day. So Father's Day, outside of the fact that my father's not here, is just another day for me to live and be like the best version of myself that I can be. But ultimately, because my father's not here this year, you know, I have been thinking a lot about him and all the things that we used to do together and just paying, you know, more, more, um, more remembrance um, to him and, and his memories, you know, so that's kind of what's kind of hitting me today. But yeah, in general, like you could ask again, I mean, even on my birthday, I don't really care what's going on. Birthday is just another day to me too. Um, every day, every day is a gift. You know, and that's the main thing. You know, I always try to remember that. And just a day like Father's Day is to remind myself that tomorrow is going to be Father's Day too. Uh, Actually, I could, I can confirm that because when I first met him, I believe one of my first few birthdays, he's like, "What? Why do you celebrate birthday after you're 21? What's the point?" (laughs) So yeah, he doesn't really care much if it's his birthday or if it's Father's Day. I make a big deal out of it because I care. Um, but he doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and just to add a little bit more color to that is I know for other people's special days, like I do celebrate them for them, you know, but I was just saying, you know, when you were asking me what it means to me, it's, it's just another day and every day is special. Oh, thank you. Well, I did see your Twitter bio um, and I thought it was also a great intro for today as well. It says cannabis evangelist, entrepreneur, tech geek, MMA enthusiast, daddy daycare founder. Where is this daddy daycare? Tell me more. Oh, daddy daycare. That's, that's my second job. That's probably my day job, you know, or my main job. Basically, once, once uh, being CEO ends, it's, it's time to start the shift on daddy daycare. So daddy daycare, when we weren't shelter in place, was usually, 
you know, five to eight o'clock. And then after eight o'clock, then it's, I guess, you know, Netflix and chill time. <laughs> <laughs> and just usually Netflix, the chilling comes around every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> Didn't you used to host also like a daddy daycare cannabis group or cannabis dads group? Oh, yeah, no, uh, we still have the group Canadads, you know, so Canadads is just another um, group. It was really to um, help other fathers just find a place that um, that they could talk about different things, because many of our kids, you know, when they were younger, cannabis was illegal. And as they got older, not only did it become medical, but it became recreational as well. So how do you have conversations with your children when, you know, they grew up hearing one thing and then now you have something else. And ultimately, I mean, there's canna parents and there's canna moms, but it was primarily just mothers, you know, and I really wanted a place for fathers because um, in general, I mean, when you look at the place of fathers in society, you know, they're, lo they're looked at as like the breadwinners, you know, they're not really looked at as the caretakers or people that contribute. And I really wanted to kind of change that and really help people understand like, you know, fatherhood isn't just another job. It's like the best thing that you could possibly do in your life. And so many people think like having kids is going to interfere with their, with their life goals. And I, I always tell them if, if that's what you're worried about, you're probably not going to hit your life goals anyways. You know, I started my company right when Sophia was born you know so anyone that tells me they don't have time to start their own startup or especially if they don't have kids you know I always just laugh like how many excuses do you give yourself for not doing what you want to do because you know in my eyes once you have a kid and you're trying to start a startup while you have a kid you know that is probably like the worst and most difficult time because the kid takes up so much of your time you're going on two and three hours of sleep and you don't know what the heck you're doing you know you're just this is like the craziest experiment that you know two people are taking on in their lives and being able to start a company while doing that you know gives me all the confidence that you know anybody that wants to do anything they really can and if they say they can't or they don't have enough time what they're really saying is I just don't want to make time for this. It's not that important to me. And, you know, that's a really tough thing for a lot of people to hear. But, you know, just going through it myself, and I don't see myself as anyone special. Like, I'm the biggest slacker out there. You know, anyone that's known me as a kid knows, like, I don't like to work hard. I really don't like to work hard, you know. But I've convinced myself and I've focused myself and I've trained myself to do these things because I had these dreams that I wanted to hit. But most importantly, I wanted to have fun while I was doing them at the same time. And I will say he's definitely one of the hardest working people I know. Um, but he also he also works smart, right? There are a lot of things he won't do. So like the basic manual labor stuff, he will always <laughs> get someone else to do because for him, it's like he's all about that brain power. So why waste his time when he could be doing something more important and instead hire someone else to do that? For example, when we first moved in together, um, we went and bought a bunch of IKEA furniture. And I love building IKEA furniture. It's like adult Legos for me. So I came home one day after work, excited, and there's this stranger sitting in our living room putting out together our furniture. And I'm like, "Wait, who are you?" And he's like, "Oh, your husband hired me. Oh, we were married at the time. He's like, your boyfriend hired me, um, ten bucks an hour to put together this furniture." I was like, "Oh, okay. So that's how he works." Yeah, well, number one, um, the part that she always leaves out is that was my ex coworker. he got fired. So he needed some money. And the second part that she left out is the fact that, you know, I am, a, I was a sales guy, you know, and sales guys, you know, it, it, you get a base pay, and then the rest of it is based on how much you sell. So if putting together Ikea furniture, 
you know, only cost me 10 bucks an hour. And when I sell stuff, I'm making, you know, a few hundred bucks an hour. It only makes sense that I'm not putting that stuff together. Now, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize like I've cheated myself out of a lot of opportunities to just have the personal satisfaction of doing manual labor, you know, but I mean, I was very much like Tom Sawyer growing up. I always just had other people doing stuff for me. Like that was just the way like I, I kind of lived my life, you know? And ultimately, like I said, what I realized was conning all these people into doing work for me. It was great to kind of learn like these skills of like, you know, getting people to do something like they didn't want to do. But ultimately, like, I didn't pick up any of those skills myself, you know, so I really cheated myself. And that's one of the things that I'm doing a lot more of right now. It's like right before this started, you know, Yen was asking me, she's like, why are you filling your own vape cartridges? You know, like, don't you have a company that fills them? And I'm like, well, it's because I want to know how to do everything in the supply chain, in the value chain of cannabis. You know, like I don't want to just make the devices. I don't want to just grow stuff. I want to be able to do to do all of it, you know, and I don't have to become an expert in it, but just doing it once. Now I have the appreciation of all the people that put together all those hundreds of thousands or millions of vape carts that we consume every month. So, babe, I'm curious, is this more because you already became a CEO, so you can use your skills to get other people to do things for you. But now that you already been a CEO, you want to learn now more of the skill side of things. Well, I think that, you know, we always watch that show Undercover Boss and those like bosses were like such big idiots at everything outside of like their main thing that they were doing. But I've also found that like a lot of people in general, like when they become really good at one thing, they tend to think like they're smart and intelligent about a lot of different things, you know, and that's the thing that really, like really pisses me off. So, you know, as a way to just kind of like stay humble, you know, always doing something new that's hard, that puts me in the student's mentality, that makes me remember what it feels like to be anxious or to feel like, like I'm not the best at something. It's just good to, good to have constant reminders of that because yeah, when I think about like, what am I a black belt in? Well, probably just like my knowledge of cannabis, everything else, like I just know more than the average person and I'm able to like, articulate my thoughts a little bit more clearly than the average person so I could speak in a way where it sounds like I'm an authority. But if you ask me, like, how do we fix the healthcare system or how, how many immigrants will the wall actually keep out? Like, I don't friggin' know, you know, I just kind of toe the party line on, you know, being a liberal and kind of supporting those things. And that's why I'm not super vocal about that stuff. And ultimately what I've come to see is like, when I look at guys like Elon Musk talking about like the virus and everyone jumping on and I, I'm like, he's a smart dude, but he's not an epidemiologist. And if you read his book, he's a fucking moron in like so many other areas outside of being an engineer. So like, like when people of authority say things like that, that just doesn't like phase me, you know? And when I look at other CEOs in general, like they don't impress me either. I just see like really insecure people that are willing to give up 60, 70, 80 hours of their life to run a company because, well, if you play that game of why did you do this enough, it always comes back to having a chip on your shoulder when you are younger and want to prove someone wrong. And I have not met a CEO in my life that I've asked this question to enough where if they were being honest, you know, that they didn't say they were trying to prove someone wrong by becoming a CEO. I'll have to ask my boyfriend what, like what his chip on his shoulder was, because I actually don't know. I've never thought about that before. <laughs> well, you know, it's a pretty interesting game that like I like to play, which is it's like, okay, Sabo, why do you make vaporizers? Uh, well, it's because I love weed. Okay, why do you love weed? 
Um, it's because it makes me feel good. Okay, so why do you like feeling good? Well, it's a biological algorithm in my body that happens when I do good things. Okay, why do you want that feeling more? Okay, because it means that there is more unity in the world when people feel good. Okay, why do you want other people to feel good? Well, it's because when I was younger, other people made me feel bad and I know what it feels like to be insecure. Okay, so why do you want to change that? Okay, well, when I was younger, I was the smallest kid. So like when you ask these questions to any entrepreneur, you will distill it down and it, it only the people that don't answer it truthfully, you know, are the only ones that don't say that everyone that's truthful, it all comes down to proving someone wrong, being wanting to be part of the in group, not being able to date some girl. And most CEOs just, I mean, like, okay, so I do love weed. I do love being healthy. I do want to make a change. Those are all legitimate reasons. But deep down, I knew I was a CEO because my dad was also a CEO and I wanted my dad's full acceptance, you know, and without being a CEO on some level, I didn't feel fully accepted by him, you know, and now that he's passed away, it's very clear to me that like that was a huge motivation. And it also sets me free because I thought I was going to be a lifelong entrepreneur but now I don't need to be a lifelong entrepreneur. And it doesn't take any of my focus or motivation away. It just gives me more freedom to go, oh, I don't need to be a CEO for the rest of my life. I don't need to control all these different employees. I don't need to like think all these other people think I'm smart or you know, could give them free vapes or all these things. I'm comfortable being me and I don't care what anybody else thinks. And that's such a very difficult thing to say because when you're a CEO, you got to impress investors. You got to keep your employees confidence. You got to do all these things that are outside of like how you truly feel. And ultimately, if I ask people like, why do you want to do this for the rest of your life? You know, it all comes down to them going, oh shit, the little kid in me, the little boy, the little girl in me wasn't hugged enough wasn't in the popular group, didn't get, to, didn't get to date the prom queen or whatever it is. It all goes back to some childhood trauma of why people are willing to give 60, 70, 80 hours of their life to go run a company, to have all this pressure on the company for what? For what? How much money do you need? You know, like I worked for five CEOs that had successful exits, the smallest for 160 million, the largest for 3.4 billion. None of them were happy. I asked them, you know, what would make you happy? Oh, the guy that did the $160 million exit, he goes, well, maybe $320 million exit. Well, I was like, well, like having double the money, what does that do for you? And you know, these guys can't answer that question. You know, and it's okay. It's okay because all of us that grew up here, we saw Steve Jobs, we saw Zuckerberg, we saw all these examples of these young billionaires and we all thought that's the way it's supposed to be. That's how we're gonna be happy, you know, by attaining these professional goals. And a lot of it goes back to, well, why do you wanna attain these professional goals? Are you really that motivated to go sit in front of a computer 12 hours a day? Well, if that's your idea of a life, dude, I'm sorry, man, you got some fucked up thoughts. You know, and ultimately like, like I said, in 100% of the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to, if they're honest with me, they all say the same thing. And the ones that say something different, we could tell like they're hiding, you know, because they're not comfortable being vulnerable enough to say, yes, you know, I'm this driven because of this. But when you look at athletes, the best athletes, Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, Tiger Woods, any of the best athletes, they all had a chip on their shoulder. And that's what drove them to go that extra mile to like take more hits to the face than another boxer would take, to take more concussions than any other quarterback would take. It's because they have a chip on their shoulder and that's okay, you know? That's okay to have that motivation. 
but you have to understand what that motivation is and not fool yourself. I think part of this for us minorities is also that idea of chasing the American dream. What's the ultimate American dream? That's starting a company and running a company and selling it for millions and billions of dollars. So there's a lot of pressure. I think we also put ourselves to prove that we are living this so-called American dream. And I think part of reason, Yvonne, you and I started this podcast because we realized American dream is different from everyone, right? My American dream, I thought at one point in my life, I thought I wanted to be a CEO. You know, I talked to Sable about this and how much I want to start a company, but. When I actually sit down to think about it, and I see what he goes through, now we just have to kind of really think through what is our own American dream and chase that dream, and not have anyone else influence us, or not have our parents tell us what it, what kind of life you should be living out. And that really is the hardest challenge to kind of, especially for you know, Sable since forties, I'm going to be forty in two years, to look in the mirror and say, hey. This is not my dream after all. It's it's hard because I already, you know, I'm already in a part of my career where I'm comfortable and I'm getting paid good money. And now I'm saying this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Let me start over. Let me, but not start over where I can just quit everything. Let me start over while maintaining this job, and meanwhile try to pursue what my real dream is. It's really hard work, and it's really hard to sit there and, and make that realization. Yeah, I agree. Life is hard, you know. And that's that's just part of it, you know. Like life is hard, and the best thing is, as we know as parents, the reason why kids are so rewarding is because it's the hardest thing to ever do. You know, it's the hardest thing to ever do is to have kids, to raise these two little daughters that depend on you for everything. I mean, it's so much pressure, and that's why it's so fulfilling. And ultimately, that is also one of the other things. It's like when I was talking about like not wanting to be a CEO anymore. That doesn't mean I'm not going to work hard. You know, I'm still going to be like killing it in all the other stuff that I'm doing. It's just that I have more clarity on like what it is that I want to do and what level of responsibility that I want to have on my shoulders vis-a-vis what's going to make me happy. You know, but ultimately, you know, hard work. I mean, the the difference between being happy and being fulfilled. Is how much work you put in. Like someone could tell you you win the lottery, you're super happy the next day, but you don't feel fulfilled because you didn't earn it. You know, someone gives you a gift. You know, you're happy for one night, and the next day it's like it's just a gift again. But when you're fulfilled, when you do something, like you know how much of my life I gave for this company. You know, so when something goes well. That's like a feeling no one could take away, and it's not a feeling that I could get from doing all these different drugs. It requires the hard work, and you know, fundamentally, you know, like even though happiness is a biological algorithm, there's something about like the consciousness that it's like you could just give yourself Prozac or all these things that change your biochemistry, but those things don't make you happy. If they did, mental health wouldn't be where it's at. You know, all they do is like numb your pain. So. Are we just biological algorithms, or is consciousness something above that, something deeper than that? I think it is. You know, but that's why we need to work hard to get that feeling of fulfillment. It doesn't come easy. You know, life's not meant to be easy. You know, working out working out isn't easy, but that's what makes you so much stronger. You know, and working or getting your mind right. You know, like emotional gyms. That's something I want to start. You know, because men. Kind of understand the idea of gyms, so if you kind of attach the word emotion to gym, maybe it'll help them see like this is something you improve. These are like muscles that you want to have, 
If you don't have like emotional intelligence and you're just high IQ, yeah, you'll have a lot of fans, a lot of male fans, you know, you won't be able to connect with women, not the way you, not the way you want to. You may be able to connect with women on like a sociopathic level because through your life you've seen, oh, okay, if I say this, women don't like that. If I say this, oh, women really like that. I'll say more of this, you know, and that's where you get all these like kind of like those white knight social justice warriors, I think, you know, they're just saying these things that they think that women want to hear, even though they don't feel those things. You know, and that's a problematic thing. And this is why, like, I really promote mental health and emotional intelligence, because if you don't know how you feel and you're just saying stuff online on Facebook, it's like you don't even know what your voice is. And you're talking about all these things. It's like we need to get closer to, like, you know, our true feelings and understanding what they are, not political lines, not what my boss wants to hear, not what my wife wants to hear, not what my kids want to hear. It's like, what's the inner voice inside Sabo and what does he want to say? And if I say that honestly, you know, then the world responds the best way. And do you feel that that helps you connect with your children a lot better as well? Because you're able to voice out your own thoughts and so you can teach those lessons to them as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, like, I mean, this wasn't like a day and night transition, you know? And like, like there's like so many facets of emotional intelligence. it's like you could be very emotionally intelligent in one area and like a white belt in another, you know? So like dealing with my wife, dealing with my daughters, dealing with my coworkers, that all requires different types of emotional intelligence. But yeah, you know, like, you know, like I said, like girls always, women always thought I was emotionally intelligent because I was very like aware of my surroundings, you know, I would know, okay, when you say these things, it just pisses off your female workers. When you say these things, they love it. You know, like when you say you're a feminist, they love it. When you talk about like women's day, they love it, you know, and so many men talk about those things, but they don't ever put themselves in like the same shoes of a woman of like how it really feels. And that's the difference. You know, like once I had daughters, I was like, all right, I don't want to just like pretend to understand how women feel because that's how it gets me laid you know so i had enough emotional intelligence to like get girls attracted to me and to become sexual partners with them i didn't have emotional intelligence to like be like a husband like a good husband you know like i knew like how to make women feel good about themselves so they would be attracted to me but that's a different skill set you know but then when you have daughters it's like all right am i gonna watch like a 30 minute tv show and just pretend pretend that I'm into what they're into so that they think daddy's into it. Well, they kind of know like I'm not into it if I'm just acting, you know, and then I'm wasting like 30 minutes of my time, you know, just sitting there. So then like, I really just try to put myself not just in a woman's mentality, but like a four-year-old woman's mentality. Like, what are they thinking? How can I empathize with this? You know? And I think that's why my daughters think like I'm super cool. It's because like I go through that extra effort of like trying to like not just watch My Little Pony or Pokemon or or Yen saw me. I was playing video games with them. They're like super simple games. Like I don't really want to play, to be honest. They're like super basic for me. But, you know, just building like that, that connection with them, it's super important, you know, and it's important to me because I know that like I will be the standard that they judge other men on. 
you know? And so for all those reasons, I wanted to improve my emotional intelligence. But the truth is like having higher emotional intelligence, you know, it's not just like for my family, it's like every relationship. You know, if you have higher emotional intelligence, you realize a CEO doesn't need to be an alpha male all the time. He just needs to be an alpha male when he has to make decisions and when he has to lead. And when he's not leading, he could take off that CEO hat and be a cool motherfucker, you know? But most guys love wearing that hat. They put on that hat, you know, their family hates them when they're in CEO mode, but the world seems to like CEO Sabo or whatever, you know? So you wear that hat. It's like, oh, Sabo get, you get free vapes from Sabo. Cool. He's a cool guy. And you start falling in love with that, you know? But how many CEOs, their wives, when you tell them like how great their husbands are, they just start laughing. They're like, this dude, you think this dude's fucking great? Go look at his personal life, man. This guy's not awesome. He just knows how to put on a front for other people. He just knows how to act a certain way when he's in the office. When he comes home, that dude, that dude's not a CEO. That dude's a fucking janitor or something, you know, he don't do shit. You know, and that's the type of stuff that's super important to me now, you know, and why like I really stress for a lot of people to learn emotional intelligence. It's not just for yourself. It's for everyone around you, for every relationship. And if people had stronger emotional intelligence, you know, both conservative and liberals, they wouldn't talk to each other the way they talk to each other. And that's the truth. You know, because you could ask Yen, I have so many like, conservative friends in my circle. They don't know I'm like some super hippie liberal. It's because like, I don't get triggered by the stuff that they say. Like when they talk about Democrats and liberals, I don't feel like they're talking about me, but my friends do. And they all get like, they're ready to go to war. They're like, fuck these alt-right guys. And they're like, fuck these snowflakes. And it's crazy. I'm like, you guys are both good people just trying to take care of your families, but you can't talk to each other. What's missing here? Both have college degrees. You guys aren't idiots. It's the emotional intelligence, you know? And how did you learn to get so comfortable with tuning into yourself? Um, well, you know, like, I mean, when we had kids, um, I always believed like intellect was the strongest thing, you know, because it served me so well, you know, like my intellect allowed me to go from a guy that has never held like a full-time gig to like running sales teams at startups to raising capital from investors, or I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but I've won every pitch contest that I've been in and I've never taken a business class in my life. You know, how is an Asian American studies guy able to excel in the business world when he's never taken a business class? Well, it's because I just use my intellect, you know, and like I got rewarded by using my intellect, you know, like I could tell like my brain was like operating at faster speeds than other people. So I felt like, you know, those that had the highest intellect would get the most respect, you know. So when I married Yen, Yen is very emotional. And I couldn't use like my intellect to like solve emotional problems. You know, and that's when I was like, whoa, shit. 
there's like a limit to this, you know, there's like a huge limit to this. Like you can't solve all these problems just using logic, you know? And ultimately it's like, like I said, I could just be like a sociopath. Like I know the things to say to her so she won't be mad at me. So she'll leave me alone so I could do whatever I want, you know? But ultimately, like what kind of friggin' life is that, you know? And that's like the life of like a lot of my friends. It's like they just tell their wives whatever they, their wives want to hear so they could do whatever they want to do. I mean, most dudes talk that way. It's like they don't, they don't want to get into arguments with their wife because they've had this discussion a thousand times. So they decide to just shut up and not speak and keep it in and then punch holes in the wall, you know, six months later. You know, like that's what happens to people. And ultimately, you know, like if you don't learn emotional intelligence, like you could probably go through life perfectly fine because a lot of people don't. You could just talk about sports. You could talk about stocks. You could talk about work. You could talk about everything other than what's really important and fulfilling in a real life. You know, so I ask myself, do I want to talk about surface level shit that impresses strangers? Or do I want to talk about real shit that impresses the people within my own inner circle? So for me, what I realize is I get a lot of acknowledgement from the outside world. Like they love, like they love the personality that I have. They love the vaporizers that I make, but that shit don't really mean shit to me. Like last week, Yen and I got into a fight and that's what I told her. It was like, I don't care what other people say about me. What I want is like adulation from my family. That's what's most important. And having emotional intelligence, it helps you understand like what's really important, you know, because if you don't understand your emotions and you don't know how you feel, then you just do stuff because you think, oh, this will make my investors happy or, oh, this will make my dad happy or, oh, this will make my friends happy. But what are you doing for yourself? You know, what are you doing for yourself? And you know what? Here's an easy question. You just ask people. And if it takes them more than a few seconds to answer, then you know that they're so detached from their emotions or from their self that it's hard for them to like say what they want. And that's why I think it's super important. I didn't want to go through the rest of my life like wondering, am I operating on someone else's operating system that I think is my operating system? Or am I in mission control here? And ultimately, I want to be in mission control. Yeah, and I think speaking about emotional intelligence there's two ways of looking at it right because sable is the more logical person out of the two of us and i'm the super emotional one i'm very sensitive as well so for him he had to learn emotional intelligence through discovering his own emotions and discovering his own um, empathy whereas i need to learn this to enable to control understand my emotions right because i will get so emotional that it would just overwhelm everything um i will basically lose the ability to speak and i would just blow up so i had to learn how to control my emotions and how to deal with them properly before i can you know speak to sable if him and i are, are in an argument uh, and same thing for my daughter i think the biggest growth in sable's emo emotional intelligence was after sophie was born because sophie is basically almost her well her personality is almost 
a carbon copy of mine, and she is considered highly sensitive. And I did not know this was an actual medical thing. You know, the doctor has said it's actually that your central nervous system is a little bit different than other people. And I think she said like 10% of the population have this issue. So through that, he had to learn how to deal with a super sensitive child where he really was lacking that sensitivity on his end. And Sophie is now nine. And I will say Sophie now is, you know, she's come leaps and bounds. She um, she still is very emotional, but she can sometimes control it or sometimes calm herself down beforehand. And, and she's becoming more and more confident. And Sable is also completely different from how he used to be. You know, now he wants to talk about everything. He wants to share everything. He's very open. He will openly cry if he needs to let frustration out. Um, he ra- he still raises his voice once in a while. We all do. We all lose it sometimes, but it's a lot less. You know, I think the last huge argument we had was years ago where he like punched through the wall. Uh, and and after that, like I haven't seen any kind of outburst from him since because he's been really working on how to understand his emotions and how to properly um, kind of filter through those thoughts and th- through those frustrations. And he really emphasized on communication. I am a shy introvert. My natural inclination is not to speak. <laughs> I'd rather have you guess how I feel than speak how I feel. And he's taught me through the years that is not the way to have a strong marriage, right? We all have to be able to communicate how we feel. So, um, so he's really, he really emphasized on communication. He's really taught me how to be more communicative. Thank you. <laughs> you guys definitely have a very strong relationship and it's just always so inspirational to hear how you guys speak with each other, how you guys speak with your family. I learned so much from you guys. I think every time we chat. <laughs> it took time. <laughs> we went through therapy together, you know, like read books together about relationships. Um, it took a lot of encouragement from him for me to open up. And it took a lot of encouragement from me for him to be more emotional. Um, so it definitely took a lot of time, right, babe? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, you know, and it still is a lot of work. It, it's basically anything worthwhile, I believe, are lifelong journeys, you know, and it's something that it's not always linear, you don't just always immediately get better. And just because you understand a concept, like intellectually understand, it doesn't mean that you embody that concept either. So, you know, it it is a lot of, it's a lot of work. And in the beginning, I don't think you see a lot of the payoffs, which is why I don't think a lot of people are into it. But I think that now that we see how our society has been, it's like, look, we almost have our first trillion dollar company, Apple. Um, America's GDP is higher than ever. Um, but like, look at like employee satisfaction. Look at like how, how high mental health disease is in this country. And you start understanding like the KPIs that we're measuring the health of a country or a company are just the wrong KPIs. You know, everything's revenue based. And you know why? Well, revenue is just like impressing other people. It's keeping score in a way that's very hard, very easy to show other people. Oh, I make a million bucks. Cool. I'm 10 times more valuable than someone that makes $100,000 because that's what I contribute to the GDP, right? And that's fundamentally, I think, how people start feeling about themselves when they tie their value of themselves to what their contributions are to society. And look, so what happens? What happens in a pandemic when economy is halted for three months? 
then we're in deep shit because everything is dependent on the economy. Now, I don't know what the alternative is, but I do know that, you know, people that didn't believe in universal basic income before, you know, they sure love talking about it after the pandemic, you know, ways to allow other people to survive while not working. You know, these are all things that Republicans hated. Now Republicans are like, shit, I wish I got my monthly thousand dollar check from Andrew Yang now. That would really help right now. You know, so I think it's, uh, we're like on this precipice, you know, like a lot of people are sitting at home, you know, looking at like, hey, I'm going to start this podcast, Lost and Refound. Like I'm looking at myself in a whole different way. I want to start asking myself questions that I asked myself when I was younger about what do I want to do? What's important to me? It's just making money. Is getting titles at work. Like, why is that important to me? You know, outside of sustaining yourself, why is that important to me? And like a lot of people are starting to realize, like, it's not important to me. You know, and that's good. That's good. And it should be scary because, you know, dramatic change should be scary. Like these are things that challenge like your fundamental beliefs. Like, is the earth flat? That's a scary thought. Well, it's it's a wrong thought, but you know, it challenges the status quo. And I think a lot of people have been challenging the status quo. And I really hope that when the world opens up, they don't just go back to their old habits again, because that would be such a such a tragedy, you know, to not learn something from staying at home and reassessing what's important to you. And yeah, you know, like for myself, you know, putting in the work and seeing the results and seeing how easy it is to make connections with people with this newfound ability. Like I could always get people to like me very quickly, you know, but now I could see like people will now like send me like a Christmas card after meeting me once. And it's because I can now just present myself not as an entrepreneur, not as a CEO, not at the, not as the boss of daddy daycare, but just Sabo, 43 year old guy that likes smoking weed and playing video games. And that's enough, you know? And was that a huge part of you also wanting to start Happy Asian Males as well for you to share your insights and your journey up through this uh, emotional rediscovery? Yeah, you know, actually, I mean, Happy Asian Males was like probably just the beginning. I mean, my meeting Brandon was probably like in the beginning of my journey of emotional intelligence. Like I said, you know, like no one would have mistaken me for someone that wasn't emotionally intelligent. I was very good at like acting at work, you know, acting as a guy that was emotionally intelligent. And like I said, you know, like, so I didn't have to convince anyone else that I was emotionally intelligent. I just needed to convince myself, you know, and Brandon is a strength and conditioning coach. He also uh, went to sex and relationship, um, I guess, a class or a a program to teach him how to be a somatica uh, sex and relationship coach. And, you know, he challenged a lot of my beliefs, you know, like, and what was good was he He's like me. We're just both like kids at heart, but he really needed to learn like structure and process. So he learned that from me and I learned more about emotional intelligence from him. And I think it was easy for me to learn from him because, you know, he's a strength and conditioning coach. He does like hyper masculine stuff, maybe like one of the most masculine things like powerlifting. You know, what's like, what's more masculine than that? 
maybe fighting outside of fighting. I can't think of something like more like macho than powerlifting, you know? So I think like having a co-host like him, you know, really opened me up and, you know, and the main difference really is like, like I said, you know, like when people started listening to the happy Asian males podcast, they probably already thought like I had good emotional intelligence. That's why I'm talking about that stuff. But what I realized was I was like good at talking about it, but it was much the same way. Like when I used to sell software and they you would ask us about like the security, I would be like, of course it's secure. We have redundant servers. We have 128 bit AES encryption across all data servers. And they'd be like, Oh, awesome. And then one day they were like, how does that work? And I was like, I don't fucking know. I don't know how any of that works, you know, and that's how I was with emotional intelligence. It's like, I could talk about it confidently and in a way where like I could fool all my female coworkers or Yen's friends. Everyone just thought I had great emotional intelligence, but deep down I knew I didn't, you know, and then having Brandon there, like kind of like explained to me, challenged me, you know, and he challenged me. He, he, he created a safe container where he could challenge me. So I wouldn't like get all mad and defensive. And, you know, I think like when you have groups of friends like this, you should be really lucky, you know, people that know how to facilitate and hold space. And that's what I'm most interested in learning right now is like, I know how to hold space for other people to become more vulnerable and more emotional, which is why I want to take the skill that I have and share it with other people, especially other men, mostly other entrepreneurs, you know, most of these other like, you know, so-called type A alpha males. I love making them cry. And I have, I have seen him, I have seen him make plenty of male cry. <laughs> yeah. And it's a beautiful crying, you know? It is. Yeah. And in that sense, when was the last time that you cried um, and felt really lost and needed to rediscover yourself and level up? Oh, last Saturday, you know, like I cried when my dad passed away. And then last Saturday, you know, like, I didn't feel like I was getting the acknowledgement that I wanted at home. So I cried, you know, and it wasn't to level up, you know, like, you know, I always just talk about it and leveling up. Cause I know like, that's what gets men excited. Like I could level up, I could get to the next level. But what's really important is not the next level, just getting into like getting real. How, how deep can you get within yourself? How much feeling can you allow yourself to feel? How much discomfort in those new feelings will you allow? And the great part is when you can, when you can experience all these different feelings, it's like you can't taste the sweet without the sour. You can't experience happiness without understanding sadness and allowing myself to to grieve like the ultimate loss, the loss of a parent, you know, that just makes every day seem like a gift. Any day you don't lose someone is like a gift, you know, and that's like the awesome perspective of having emotional intelligence, right? It's like, if I didn't like sit with these feelings, I wouldn't come to these conclusions. I just go play video games or smoke weed or go do jujitsu, some other shit, get my mind off of it and not pay reverence to my father because I didn't want to feel the pain. 
you know, and that's what a lot of men go through. They suffer in silence. That's why they punch walls. That's why all these quiet IT guys shoot up post offices. They don't have like a release valve, you know, they don't. And like what I've learned is when I've created spaces for men like this, like it was one of the jujitsu coaches, the jujitsu coach that teaches my daughter. I created a space for him to be vulnerable. And then he had to end our discussion because he had to teach a jujitsu class right after. And during the jujitsu class, he was telling the kids about how you have to honor your feelings. And he cried in front of the kids and he never cries. You know, and that's when I realized, oh shit. I'm like a fucking LeBron James in this area. I, I got to like harness this skill. You know, like this is truly my calling. Here's a guy that doesn't have a lot of friends that doesn't express himself. And I was able to touch him in a way where he could cry in front of my kids. You know, that level of vulnerability is like, it's nuts. It's insane. And to see people change like that, you know, he told me now the way he treats his wife, the way he interacts with his kids, it's at another level because he could show up for them, not just 80%, not just 90%, but a full 100%. You know, you don't, he doesn't have to be like jujitsu coach slash dad. He could just be himself and that's enough. And I think a lot of people always want to add titles, CEO, JD, Esquire, MD, because they don't feel like they're enough. You know, that's why we take our kids to soccer, to gymnastics, to tutoring, to music classes, to make them feel like they're enough. They have to do all these things. And that's when I realized, no, like drowning them in all these activities, like that's cool and all, but like drowning them in our time. The one thing that's really limited, the amount of time that I could give to them, you know, that's what's most important to me. And that's why I like working on emotional intelligence. Like if you master this, like every day, every minute, every second of your life will be better because you're more engaged. You're not just in your head. And being in your head is fine. Like when you got to strategize, when you're thinking about, okay, how do I make this podcast big? Okay, yeah, be in your head. Use all that cognitive ability, you know, plan shit out. But when you're with your friends or family or when you're doing an activity, put that shit away. Be engaged, be focused, be present. You know, and you'll get more out of life and everyone around you will feel that. You know, like Yen always asked me like why I have so many friends. I don't fucking know. I think just being myself, you know, it's like attractive magnetism when you're around someone that's not afraid to be themselves. And for me, I was never afraid to be myself. But through rapping and freestyling and doing flow masters, like what I realized was even if I'm 99% myself, there was still 1% that was holding back. There was still 1% that knew I have investors and I have fiduciary responsibilities. I have to act a certain way. Or there was still 1% that was like, oh, I get quoted a lot. I can't just say whatever the fuck's on my mind. You know, and that would hold me back from being able to freestyle. And then what I realized was when I could let all of that go, 
And this is why I believe anyone could freestyle. Like I never freestyled before nine weeks ago. And since then, I've won freestyles against comedians that have shows. There was a comedian that was like having people come on. He had like 900 viewers, Josh Wolf. And then we freestyled against each other. And I was about to say no, because I started thinking like, oh man, what if my employees see me? They'll be like, oh, my boss is whack. Look at him trying to rap. Or God forbid, one of my investors is like, why is Sabo at 2 p.m. smoking weed and like freestyling instead of working? You know, all of these things were going through my mind. You know, then I realized, oh shit, that's me being in my mind again. What does Sabo want to do? And Sabo wanted to battle rap Josh Wolf. And once I gave myself permission, well, that video is on Facebook. Everyone knew. Everyone that watched gave me their votes. And that just reconfirmed to me the biggest enemy. Everyone wants to read of art. Everyone wants to read the art, the art of war by Sun Tzu to conquer your enemy, your external enemy. But no one wants to read the war of art, how to conquer your internal enemy. And to me, that's emotional intelligence and why it's so important and why, you know, you asked me when was the last time I cried and tried to level up, you know, it was just last week, but honestly, I just try to every day, I just try to be more in touch with myself than the previous day. That's the battle. Am I more real today or am I less real? And that's the only thing that matters because I'm going to base so many of my, so many of my decisions that day based on how I feel. And if I'm not being real with myself, then who are these decisions for? Who are they for? You know, my investors, all these other people. Well, who are these other people? Whenever I ask people, whenever people don't want to do something and they tell me it's because of other people and I go, who are these other people? They don't know who these other people are either. You know? Sorry, this was like such a long answer to a simple question, but it gets deep, you know, it gets super deep. I just want to add the example you gave of um, the jujitsu coach um, crying while he was teaching. This was on Zoom, by the way, Yvonne. Um, this was, they're doing virtual classes, right? This is in the middle of quarantine. Um, and it really did have an effect on the children too. It really showed the, the kids that it's okay to show your emotions and it's okay to talk about your emotions because I think that for kids, they kind of know what's going on in the quarantine, but they don't really talk about that much because I think there is fear there and there is also confusion. And it really got the kids to talk and to share their feelings as well. So that was really, really good to see. But also, babe, I want to ask you, when you first started opening up, when you first, let's say that first cry when you're letting go of release i'm sure it felt freeing but outside of feeling freeing did you feel anything else like confused or was there any shame what what else did you feel well yeah i mean there's a lot of there's like a lot of fear when you feel those feelings of like anxiety sadness depression because you know like when you're running a company if you think about those things too much it's hard to be like an optimistic leader you know, so most of the times I would just stuff those, those feelings down. So like when I first allowed myself to cry, what I really realized was, and this is what I tell everyone, like, you know, like I've boxed, I've done like, 
you know, amateur fights and stuff. And like the courage required for that is a lot, you know, it's a lot of courage, but like what's required to become vulnerable to show, to show the softer side of yourself to, to everyone, you know, that takes way more courage, you know? So like, that's why I was telling Yvonne, when I see other CEOs now, I don't see other impressive people. I see the most insecure people that have coping mechanisms and it's okay because the skills that you learn from being a CEO are awesome skills, but I'm not going to overly glorify the role of a CEO. That's for sure. I don't give them extra credit for being a CEO. And like I said, I feel sorry for a lot of them because, you know, they're willing to give up so much of their lives to prove something to all these people. And we just all agreed who are all these people, you know, and this is why you see like these sudden CEO suicides. It's like, they're not willing to chat. They're not willing to talk. They're only willing to talk when they know someone that committed suicide. You know, and that's why when I try to tell people, when I try to explain it to men, becoming vulnerable takes way more courage than getting in a cage and fighting. You know, they could kind of relate with that, you know? Or like, that's what it takes to get them to relate with it. It's like, hey, you know, before a big competition, you think you're being brave? Well, that's like level eight. If you want to be vulnerable, you got to get to level 10. So are you brave enough to get to level 10? It's almost like I have to trick them by being extra masculine to deal with their emotions, you know, but sometimes that's what it takes. You know, it's like, you know, you got to like fool your kid, like with like all those like weird things about like this food's going to taste good. Right. Then you get them to open their mouth. So that's what I found with like, especially entrepreneurs and CEOs, like it takes that type of kind of like mind games with them, which is like, are you brave enough, you know, to get vulnerable? And yeah, you know, it is the scariest thing for sure. Well, it is because I think that that is the deepest programming. In most cultures, actually, before the son's even born, the father is already saying things like he's going to be the most like the toughest guy, the most masculine guy. So that's a lot of programming. The day you're born, you're told to be a man, to grow a pair and not to cry. You know, boys don't cry. And we all heard that. So I can imagine as a, as a child being told all your life, you have, you can't cry because you're a man. And then being asked to, to talk about emotions. That's, I mean, that has to be the hardest thing you can probably ever do. Yeah. I mean, it's very isolating too. You know, I know for a lot of men that want to talk about emotions when they try to speak to them, their friends about it and their friends don't know how to create a safe space or a container for them. You know, that's why men feel very isolated and why I, you know, like why I want to do this work, you know, because I realize like, you know, even though I don't have a psychology degree or anything like that, or any coaching experience, what I do have are like attributes that like most men find very appealing. You know, like I fit in with a lot of people. Um, I run a company. I also do like hyper masculine things like boxing and jujitsu. So like when they look at me, they're like, oh shit, if he's talking about this, like here's a guy that like, he doesn't seem like one of those guys that couldn't do anything else but talk about emotional intelligence. Cause when I looked at a lot of these EI coaches out there, I was like, man, I could see why a lot of people, a lot of men don't gravitate towards it because it's like, oh, you look at their stories. I was a fat kid. Then I got abs. 
Now girls date me. I'm going to be a life coach. It's like, am I going to learn from that guy? Or do I want to learn from another guy that's like been an entrepreneur, you know? And that's where I started realizing like I have a lot of merit to what I'm doing. And ultimately like why this is so important is like no one wants to go follow a person that they, they don't think can be a leader also, you know? And you don't always have to be a leader, but this is kind of like, this is like, there's a book called Crossing the Chasm, which talks about like how many people need to believe in something before it becomes common belief. So I believe at some point it won't, you could have like all these like more feminine or less masculine coaches talk about emotional intelligence and they could rally, rally people. But right now where we are in society right now, like men want to see other men who's like, my only option wasn't to be a emotional intelligence coach. You know, like I could do anything I wanted, but I'm choosing to do this because I think it's important. Not just people like myself. We need more people like me that are willing to speak about this. You know, leaders of industries bigger than me to talk about this because, you know, most of the people that talk about it, if they don't have this type of background, then your average person isn't going to follow. Your average person follows Donald Trump because they think he was successful. Probably not because they think he's a good person, but they think he's a good person, then fuck. That's a whole different discussion. But, you know, I think most of his base, most of his base is like, yeah, he's a good businessman. He knows how to do this shit. So they're, they're willing to follow, you know? So I think for right now, that's what's required. And hopefully in the future, when we have more emotionally intelligent men and the archetype doesn't have to be an alpha male or a CEO or a leader to be doing this, then yeah, you know, all sorts of different types of coaches. But I think right now, you know, the most valuable coaches would be people that have like excelled in other areas that decided to become these EI coaches, because that's what is relatable to these men that really need it, you know? And what would you wish that you had known five years ago? What would you tell yourself? Um... You know, I mean, these are, it's interesting because whatever I would have told myself five years ago, I probably wouldn't believe anyways, you know, like these like hypothetical questions. I always wonder, like if I went back, like how much convincing would I have to convince myself that IQ or EQ was just as important as IQ? I, I don't know if I would be able to convince myself. I think that comes with life, right? Life experience and time and maturity. Um, like, go try to tell a, a college frat boy <laughs> to be more emotional intelligent. <laughs> so, uh, I think it also depends on your, your maturity and your emotional immaturity. Yeah, but if I were to tell myself from five years ago, a piece of advice would just be be kinder to yourself, you know? Like, people don't love you because you run a company. People don't love you because you give away free vaporizers. People don't love you because you put out like funny little videos of you and your kids. You know, people love you because you're a good person. You know, that's what I would tell myself. You know, and like being you is enough. And that's what I would like keep trying to tell him. He probably wouldn't believe me. You know, and that's the thing. But that's what I would try to convince him is that all of these external accomplishments that you think you're doing for yourself? Are those the accomplishments that you really want for yourself? Where did that come from? Where did those, why did you want to accomplish so much? 
Let's play that game again. Seba, why do you want to accomplish so much? Well, I want to accomplish so much because I was given one life and you only have one life. So YOLO, well, why are you given one life? Why is that important to you? Well, it's because, you know, my family, they immigrated here. Like, you know, they had a much tougher life. You know, I want to make the most, most out of this one life. Okay. Well, why do you want to do that? And then when you keep asking yourself that question, you start understanding a lot of your dreams. They're not your dreams. They were other people's dreams. You know, so one of the things that I always ask myself is, would I do this, whatever it is that I'm doing, if I couldn't post it on social media, if I couldn't talk about it at the next dinner party, if I couldn't tell Yen about it, would I still do that thing? And if the answer is yes, then I know I really love it. You know, and I will tell you this, 99% of the things that I do, like 99% of the time, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go sit in front of my computer and do a live stream right now. I'm going to talk about this. And then when I ask myself those questions, would I be talking about this if I couldn't share it with anyone else? Or am I just trying to sound smart right now? It's usually I just want to sound smart and talk about all these like cool things that I read about. It's not actually like I was like so moved by this like thing that I read. It was that I wanted to take that information and be the life of the party. So I find myself like just being more of a hermit now. Like, like I don't want to do these live streams. I don't want to share a lot of these things because a lot of these things are private. It's like, who cares if I share them? If I share them, am I going to be more happy? And the things that I do choose to share now, are the things that I think will make a difference in the world. It's like, all right, if I share this, is this going to help people? Okay. You know, but most of the times, honestly, like the stuff that I want to post or say, a lot of it's just self-serving. No one would ever know because they would read it and be like, oh shit, another inspirational quote from Sabo. YOLO. Cool. You know, but I would know. I would know. And that's what's most important to me is when I go to bed, do I feel like I was being authentic that day? Or do I feel like I was pu putting on a performance? And it's okay to put on a performance. Just know when you're putting on a performance. Don't, don't, don't act like you're being authentic when you're putting on a performance. And that's like the biggest lesson for me. And that's what I try to wake up every day, which is like, hey, how do I feel today? Am I tired? All right, I'm tired. Okay. Probably not going to be my best on camera, but that's okay. You know, but just being real. A lot of times I would just push myself. I just go on camera. The company needs some more content. Just do it. And many times I, I still do it because, well, the business has to take place. But just, just knowing, just telling myself, yeah, Sabo, you're going to push yourself for the company. But then you could have some self-care time after. You know, that's important. You know, and delineating that, that's what I want to teach people to be able to understand like, what do I want to do versus what do I want to do with all the influence of the world, just kind of running in the background and not knowing that the influence of the world is running my operating system, you know? And ultimately I think, you know, Lost and Refound, it's such a cool name for a podcast because if you look at kids, kids know how to be in the moment. Kids know how to be present. You have to teach them to like be in their heads, to like focus on something. They just want to be in the moment. 
you know? So I think a lot of it is just refining what we always knew, you know, as children, you know, when we're living free, you know, to be ourselves, to like just say and dance and move our bodies in ways with no judgment, you know, just like, that's why I love watching my daughters, you know, Savannah, especially like she's so free. And that's why I never want to correct her. You know, I want her to just keep being free, you know, keep being confident in your own feeling, you know, the feeling in your body, just go with it, you know, because, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to deprogram, you know, so many people are going to tell you like, this is what's cool. This is what's beautiful. And it doesn't matter. What matters is how you feel about yourself, you know? It is really crazy to think when we, when I see Savannah, how free she is to think we were all like that once, you know, and now Yvonne and I were trying to refine ourselves, <laughs> like refine that freedom we felt once. And it is crazy to see how, how your condition, how life changes you and can turn you into a different person, a person that's not truly you. Right. So, I mean, my, my Enneagram is th- three, three, four. Mm-hmm. Three. My Enneagram is three and it's the performer, right? That's my entire life has been a performance of living up to what my idea of a strong woman is, you know, and now having to dismantle that and figure out who I am and try to rediscover myself to that free self I used to be. It's, it's a crazy journey. It's crazy to sit there and think about how I, how I became this way. So, um, yeah, so definitely that's something we all have to think about, but, um, I think we're, we're over time. So babe, we like to end our podcast with a quote. Um, so perfectly related to the to topic we're speaking of. So if you have a quote, you like to share with us, be you, be you two letters, be you 100% be you just be yourself, you know, and here's the best thing. It's like most of the people listening to this are adults, you know, when you're young, you know, I would tell a young person a completely different set of advice. You know, I wouldn't just be telling them be you all the time because you got to fucking be better than you when you're younger and like learning shit in life, you know. But when you're older, when you've worked as long as us, you know, like you really start have to start understanding like what motivated you because a lot of the things that you did as a performer, a lot of the things that I believe that got me to CEO, these are all like really important skills to learn in life, you know. And if it wasn't for like living up to these other standards, my lazy ass wouldn't have done the fucking work. You know, like I love smoking weed and playing video games. That's me as a core human being. Like if I didn't have like that, like, like having to impress other people in the back of my head, I would have just been like this loser on the couch. So what I'm saying is like these things when you're younger and it's driving you, it's okay because you're coming of age, you're finding out who you are. You know, and when you're finding out who you are, you got to be all these different personalities. But when you're in your 30s, you don't need to be fucking doing that shit no more. Come on, dude. We're not in our 20s no more. We're not trying to impress other people. And the sad thing is there's people for... I think we are. A lot of people feel more than ever. They need to be impressive because you're in your 30s, right? You're in the critical time building your career. So you need to impress the right people. You need to have the right impression. And a lot of that is an act in yourself. Yeah, totally. Then it just goes back to the other question. Who are these people? 
Yeah, then it just goes in a circle. <laughs> Who are these people? Who are these people? Be you and figure out who these people are. You know, I think that's, that's what I want to leave the podcast with. And thank you. Thank you for letting me drone on and talking a little bit longer than what your usual podcasts are. But this is super important. You know, like, I think this is going to trigger a lot of people when they hear this. You know, like, if men are listening to this, they're probably like, this guy's full of shit. You know, like, a lot of people will probably, like, be like, that's not me. That's him. That's why he founded a company. I founded my company because I want to change the world. And that's okay. I want you to believe that. You know, that's important that you want to change the world. But you also have to, you also have to give yourself room to know, like, why do you want to change the world? It's probably because you had a chip on your shoulder at some point. And those two, those two truths could coexist. You know, and you know what, we still need CEOs. There are some people that like, you know, when you need a project manager, they're the, they're the, they're the first people to raise their hands. We still need people like that. That's not saying like CEOs are worthless, but I know. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think you're saying necessarily like it's, it's not a bad thing, right? It's having that, that chip that pushes you to, to work harder. It's not a bad thing. You need that to build a company. You need that to push you through the hardest times. Building a company is hard. I see you. You know, I see the days that are so hard, uh, and especially when you have employees depending on you. So I think it's okay to have that. But I think what you're trying to say, to, but also own it. Really know what's driving that and own that. And then also know that it's okay that, that once you have reach whatever goal or set the realistic goal that it's okay to also let go and to let go of that shit. Well, that was a very good segue. You busted my flow really, but it did come back to what I wanted to say, which is like, look, like, here's the thing. Like these skills, being in flow, emotional intelligence, being strategic, like one's not better than the other. What you really want to learn is like, When I'm in a role that requires leadership, can I be a leader? When I'm in a role that requires empathy or requires me to be a team player, can I do that also? And that's what emotional intelligence helps you with. It's not just to be like just some like touchy feely dude all the time. It's that knowing that you just have more tools. So like, yeah, when it's time for me to lead, when it's time for me to get everyone hyped up so like we're gonna go do this really hard thing, like I know I have those skills. But when I come home and I'm with you and the kids, I know how to turn that off so that I could be what you guys need out of me. And that's ultimately like what I want to teach people, which is you're perfectly fine the way you are, you know, but let's just like, let's take some of the skill set that you overvalue here. Let's transfer it some over here and let's show you how to like turn these things off so that you don't always have to be on all the time. And when you're not on all the time, and you can recharge, you just become like a different version of yourself, you know, and all that starts with is like being you, you know, my quote, you know, it's so hard to be other people. And it's hard being yourself too, in this day and age, especially with social media. So my quote is, yeah, two letters, very easy to remember, be you, remember that, you know, and just try to do that every day. And if you don't know how to be yourself, well, you know, listen to this podcast, listen to these two girls stories, and see how they're refining themselves. I'm done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Faye, for coming Thank on. You, Happy Father's Day. You're welcome. I Thank love you. you. <laughs> I love you too. Thank you, everyone, for listening. 
If you are interested in connecting with Sabo, you can find him on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, all under Sabo Shen. His name is spelled S-E-I-B-O. Or you can find his info in our show notes for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback for us, you can find us on Instagram at Lost and Refound. That is Lost dot and dot Refound. Or email us at Lost and Refound podcast at gmail.com. Have a wonderful week.